you all ready? Oh, is that the signal? Hey, everybody. I'm your host, Felipe, and you're listening to the Total Basis Podcast. I am joined, as always, by Sean Flannery. But before I get to him, I'd like to bring in a special guest. Uh, he's been with us before, and I'm glad to have him. He's a Yankee fan, but most importantly, he's one of the smartest people I know in terms of fantasy sports. He does fantasy football. He does fantasy uh, pro pick'em. Uh Against the spread, I think, right, Mario? Is that what you do? You do against That's the right. spread yep. and just straight up. And yep. also, most importantly, does fantasy baseball. Um, please welcome, as always, Mario Margola. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing very well. It is it is a tradition now at this point. Yes. Like fantasy baseball draft season that you message me and say, hey, you want to come on? And I'm, I mean, when I say I'm always super excited. So thank you. It's, it's my pleasure. You're right. Every it's March, and I'm, you know my little uh, sensor is on my mind, going like, "Oh, it's <laughs> time to bring in Mario because we need to talk to him about fantasy baseball." And the today's topic will be: What did we learn about twenty? Uh, what did we learn from the twenty twenty fantasy baseball season, and how do we use that for the upcoming season? And before we get started, Sean, how are you doing this morning? I am awesome. I'm super excited to have Mario back on the show. He's really like the OG guest. I mean, dating back to two years ago before he even did all the whole reboot as the Total Basis podcast, like he was the guy we brought on a couple of times. And it's always fun when he he joins us. Yeah, now we're doing well, it under you. special circumstances because we usually do it after we we uh, do our drafts. It's because he's in our league. He's in the, in the Baseball Life Fantrax League. Uh, so uh, uh, we usually bring him in. So I might have to uh, call you from the bullpen and uh, bring you in one more time to break down the drafts. But for now, I thought, you know, it's been a while. Let's talk about, you know, last season and what we got to do to get ready for the 2021 season. And uh, let's get started with the first thing that I, I have here on my little word document is nothing mattered last year. It was all a dream. <laughs> Players had COVID slumps were more apparent. Hot streaks were seen more hotter. Uh, there was no chance in hell for regression to rear its ugly head. You know, I mean, there was a couple of times, uh, you know, we saw a, f- a few players, uh, Fernando Tatis, Luis Robert. Example. <laughs> Luis Robert, Kyle Lewis, but for the most part, it seemed like you know the good times kept on rolling. I mean, and and, uh, and let's face it, all the stats were fake. It's faker than wrestling, you know. So that's what we learned. Uh, we'll start with Mario since he's our guest. Uh, what did you learn from the 2020 baseball season? So I swear uh, to the people listening that we did not like prep this part ahead of time, but I actually wrote to myself that there wasn't enough time for regression to hit too many different spots so pretty amazing that you brought that up because i like to uh i like to look at for teams which teams were quote unquote unlucky and lucky and those numbers can stretch like over 162 games you could win eight games based on what math will define as luck and there's not a team that i think five five wins was the luckiest last year so you know extrapolate that out over the course of the season and it it was miami which speaks very well to the fact that Miami made it to the playoffs in a 60 game season. Um, but yeah, everything else, it's funny. You said that I'm looking at every other than Miami and Tampa Bay, every single team was within three games in either direction of their luck factor. So that's the first takeaway is there was very little time for regression. That's a, I, I, I'm shocked that you brought that up as the first point. Cause I like had it on my screen as a, uh, as a, as a talking point. Um, the other thing that is going to be a struggle for me, you know, I love to be super aggressive with everybody, but I really like young pitchers who you can say through 60 innings in in one season. And now you can look at them at, at 
120 to 140, or a guy who threw 100 innings last season, you know, maybe getting to 180. And there's such a good like projectability there. You have an entire league that was capped at 60 games last year. And I don't know how you're going to take a starting pitcher and trust that their arm isn't going to fall off or that the team isn't going to be scared their arm's going to fall off. So my number one takeaway besides the regression is I don't know how to handle starting pitchers that I would like to project forward. Oh, it is so funny you mentioned that because right now at the moment I am uh, going through the process of trying to rank all 239 uh, starting pitchers I have on my spreadsheet and it's not fun. Um, usually there is some fun involved, you know, because uh, you know, there's some upside that you have to account for. And then you, you look at the projected numbers and you got to figure out which ones are falsities and which ones are are, are somewhat true. And this year it's uh, up in the air. I can't make I can't make anything off of it. So uh, that's one of the things I was going to mention in my uh, for my preparations for 2021 is really be disciplined about the starting pitching. But I wanted to ask you a question. Um, Mario, as you talked about luck, I mean, is there a is there a way that you gauge luck? Is there like some sort of statistic that you use? Do you go on like baseball reference and and utilize something like base runs or uh, Pythagorean theorem? H- how do you uh, quantify luck? I-, I guess this is the question here. So, yes, Pythagorean win loss record is the easiest way. And it and it like oversimplifies it to the fact that you can literally sort by luck on baseball reference. So, yeah, I use baseball reference. Uh, they have a detailed standing section that has Pythagorean record, uh, which is based on wins, I'm sorry, based on runs allowed and runs scored. And it calculates how many wins they should have had. And then gives the record that that would have been versus the record they actually have. So I don't have anything fancy there. It literally is luck as (laughs) listed in, um, in baseball reference. But I will say over the course of the season, it's not impossible to track luck by eye the same way that you would track, you know, any, any factor that um, is going to regress over 162 games. Like if Mike Trout is scorching the ball, but he is 0 for 12, you know, he's hitting the ball. Well, you know, that that is an air quotes, unlucky um, outcome. So in a real season, I should say real, because I, I, I won't, I will not throw away the season the way that you so, so meanly did just now, but (laughs) in a season that is long, you can see luck happening, but yeah, if you look back over like in, in the standings, it's right there. You can see a team, you know, I, I mean, Miami had a negative run differential yeah, and they were 31 and 29. Like that's really hard to do. So just, just based on any metric, like you don't allow more runs than you score, but win more games than you lose. It's very hard to do that. Well, I mean, Miami had the advantage because they gave everybody COVID. Um, <laughs> they, they, they had a little built-in vacation for their season. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they Them came and, back and just won 15 in a row. I'm like, all right, now we're good. Them and the Cardinals. Uh, Sean, same question to you. What did you learn about the 2020 season? Well, I'm going to actually segue away from, like, the actual baseball here. But, you know, this time last year was when we really started getting into this podcasting and really I started digging into fantasy baseball more than I've ever done in my whole life. And I just realized how awesome the fantasy baseball community is, both on Facebook, on Twitter, um, and like all the people and friends that I've met along the way. Like tomorrow I'm going to be on a radio with, or on podcast with uh, at MLB Moving Averages, uh, Tony Tambo from um, Open Bar Fantasy Dudes. And – this time last year, I would have never expected to be doing stuff like this. And now I'm in drafts with 
a uh, fantasy sports runner Hall of Famer. And it's, it's like all of this just seems unreal to me. But uh, if we're going to actually make it about baseball uh, in the 60 games, which guys that you look at were on quote unquote lucky? You know, there were a lot of high BABIP guys last year. There were, I think, something like 15 with BABIPs over 360. Uh, which one of those guys actually can maintain it? Uh, there's only one person with a BABIP over 400, and this one hurts my heart because I actually do buy the breakout. But it was Michael Conforto, and he had a 412 BABIP. Uh, mm-hmm. what, do you, what are we supposed to do with that? He batted 322, which was a career high, but like how there's going to be some regression there, but how much? <coughs> Sorry. Oh, is that an actual question to us, or is, are you yeah, – Yeah, uh, like what do, you, what do you guys like – are we buying Conforto's breakout 2.0? Like, all right, how much of it are we throwing away? How much of it are we keeping? Which I feel I find myself asking a lot of a lot of players this year. The ones that did well, we say, okay, how much of this are we buying? And the guys that did terrible, we're like, also, how much of this are we buying? I mean, it. Let me let me ask you a more uh, macro question. Yeah. Do you think more people in the fantasy baseball drafting community, forget forget experts, writers, everything, the actual people who are drafting, who you're going to compete against, do you think more people are selling last year and discounting it entirely or factoring it the same? Meaning there's no in-between. You're either taking those numbers as gospel, 160 games, you're just pretending are 162, or you're pretending there was zero. What do you think from either the drafts you've done or the people you've talked to like, what do you think is the is the scenario in everyone's mind, the, the bulk of people? It is so funny you ask that because maybe about two weeks ago, one of the, the fantasy people I follow on Twitter, he posted a poll that was, okay, what are we doing here? Like, and it, okay. one of the options was, okay. how much are you taking 2020 into account? And it was like 10 to 30%, 30 to 50, 50 to 70, or like 80 to 90, or 80 to 100 and I wanted to say, and it kind of fell into that 30% realm, which sounds okay. about right. Mm-hmm. But at the same point, when I factor that in, I look at guys like, you know, Pete Alonzo, who was great in 2019. And he did okay. I mean, he obviously wasn't this 2019. The batting average was lower. The home runs, he was still on pace for over 40. But you, you I know he's not the only one and that you look at their numbers and they never got hot. They they right. slumped. So they, 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 they yeah, they slumped and then they kind of came back. You know, they had some positive regression. They came back to the mean, but they never got hot. And I think there's a the players that we've seen be very good before uh, 2019, 2018, but they never got hot in 2020. I feel like those players are the ones that are going to be really good fantasy draft values. And it's all so about identifying I- those guys. Right. So I asked this question because I, I, you know, since you mentioned it now, I do think I saw that same poll. I think probably through you on Twitter, actually. <laughs> and it's like, you know, just think about the math of it. 30% sounds about like the scale of, of last season to every other season in history. But mm. there's what I think everyone's doing, including myself. If you can take the 60 games of last year and add it to the 162 from the year before, you know, you're getting a 200 and whatever, you know, 222 game sample size and basically pretending that you have one gigantically long season as opposed to a real, a, a real length season and a, and a third of it. And that's one way to approach it is, again, it's technically 30% because that's about what the ratio is. 
but you know, you're, you're scaling it. You're, you're distributing it over the whole 200 and something games. That's one way. But I asked the question because in a redraft league, and I haven't done this yet and I haven't written this yet. So this might be a new shift of my thinking. I have a feeling more people are discounting last season than counting it as gospel. And I wonder if the edge wouldn't be to just go all in and say 2020 was the most real season you've ever had. (laughs) And Ah. everyone who crushed it in 2020, you target because you know, you know, those people are going to be discounted. Like anybody like Conforto had a ridiculous bad bit. So people are going to look at that and they're going to look at the 60 game season and say, okay, what would he have done over 162? Well, I don't know, but I know what he did over 60 and maybe, maybe he's going to go around or two later because people are going to want to sell last year. And if, if they're selling it, maybe I want to be buying it. Maybe that's like, I, I didn't think about that until, you know, we went down this rabbit hole, but like if people are going to completely discard the season, maybe I'm going to overvalue it and actually get cheaper people who are doing well. Maybe they're really good. We don't know. Mario maybe it was finding, a legit breakout. Mario finding the market inefficiency in fantasy baseball already. <laughs> like, this is ridiculous. Um, I don't know if I'm uh, going to act on it because this is going to mean I can't draft people I really want, but it's a, <laughs> I think it's a way to handle it. I do have written on my notes something because my notes are scattered all over the place is that uh, and this is something we talked about. I remember Henry brought up that question to us, uh, Sean, about, well, what about ERA? How do you gauge ERA from last year? And and I know and then I remember that a lot of people like to use the previous year stats to help them make their rankings for the upcoming season. And I strongly advise against that and even suggested what you suggested, Mario, is just combine 2020 with 2019 or if you really want to get a, a bigger picture combine it with 2018 as well and get a really large sample size because it is uh pretty um murky to just go so yeah if you're gonna if numbers. you're gonna mathify it if you're gonna put it into math i would i mathify think it. the only answer is to combine seasons if you're gonna actually take an average take you know instead of instead of a 30 game start sample size and then last year's 10 or 12 you're gonna say this guy started 42 games over the last two years in those 42 games, this was his ERA. Like, I think that's the right math approach, but people don't like get that set up and then know that people aren't going to draft on that. They're going to draft on weighing the first 162 games more. Well, that's That's where you might get the edge. That's why I brought up the, uh, the, the notion like, Hey, I know like, like a lot of people are not very uh, high on projections, right? They all projections are just fake numbers. So they're pretend numbers, but I, I think this is the season where you really have to um, hunker down and just suck it up and use projections because they're going to be your best friend. I firmly believe that whether you're using the zips, the steamer projections, the ATC, whatever the case would be, the bat, I think projections are going to be a better uh, help this year than just solely depending on previous year stats as um, I don't know. I feel like when you're using projections, you are able to, D- dig into that you're, you're you're in that world right you're in that let's say steamer you're in that steamer world and there's nobody that's uh that's an outlier everybody's kind of crunched in together in a vacuum and that's the season that ultimately comes out for the, you know the projections that they use and i think that and of course you know it, it's it's based on a 162 game season so there's no um hot streaks involved here after a 60 game season or, or massive slumps regression in this steamer world has already been um, rear its ugly head, or in some cases rear its positive head and I'll come the, uh, the numbers for the 2021 season. And there you go. 
you have something to work with. You have something a little bit more trustworthy. I don't know, Sean, I, I mentioned that before. Uh, how likely are you to utilize projections when you're uh, making your ranking lists? I mean, I definitely look at some. Uh, Steamer and Zips always, I, I, you look at them, and to me, they always feel like so... Uh, what's the opposite of aggressive here? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. They're, they're always like, like super low averages, right? Yeah. It's yeah. like you, you look at a player. I'm going to just keep my little Mets train of players in my head going. Jeff McNeil's batted like anywhere from 310 to 320 in three consecutive years. And they're like, we're projecting him for a 278 batting average. It's like, <laughs> I, I get it. You know, it's very hard to project somebody for, you know, 50 home runs or a 330 batting average. It's near impossible. But the one that I've really started finding myself leaning towards, and I like the first iteration of it a lot, and I like his new one even better, but Derek Cardi's the bat and the bat X. The bat X, the way it incorporates a lot of the stat cast data into it, I, I'm finding myself really using uh, the bat X a whole lot. Yeah, uh, the bat X think, is – oh, go ahead, sorry. No, this is, I, would, I would think anything stat cast uh, driven is going to be – kind of tying back into where we started this conversation is going to have a lot of fixing for luck uh, Mm -hmm. setups, meaning like, you know, StatCast cares about how hard the ball is hit and it doesn't care that it was an out or a home run or anything. It cares that it was hit hard, which to me, I also care about. So I assume any, any system that's going to accurately use StatCast data is probably ahead of the game because it is going to, it's going to, it's going to fix that problem where, you know, somebody's Babbitt might be low, but they're actually crushing the ball. And I don't care what the Babbitt is if I'm not taking last year's numbers. Like, I'm not drafting them for 2020. I'm drafting for 2021. I want a guy who's mashing the baseball. So I would think that, that if you're saying the stat cast is incorporated, I, I, I see why you're drifting in that direction. I, I like it. That's good. Yeah, that's actually a, a good – I mean, that's been like the – every podcast I listen to, they, they always – cite the bad x projections so uh maybe i missed the boat by not using them this year but i i used uh i used statcast mm-hmm. more than ever in preparation for my 2020 draft and it does give you a nice picture of, of things to come but it also uh i think the the one the one danger i would warn people about is that it does kind of give you this false sense of security by utilizing them exclusively and it it, it creates mm-hmm. um it's almost almost too theoretical when it comes to certain players and certain pitchers. So, and, and then of course, the other thing I don't like about going with the, with the, just the stack cast numbers and this is from my personal experience and, and it has nothing to do with the bad X projections, but just using stack cast numbers alone. Um, it's hard to gauge stolen bases. And let me tell you, you could definitely do it because of sprint speed and all that but just because someone's fast doesn't mean that their stolen bases are going to go up or their or their uh, what do you call it their opportunities for stolen bases is going to go up yeah so it really depends on opportunities and situations which is something that the um the stack has when you just solely go off stack has numbers which is like again sprint speed and there's another one that they use i forgot sean maybe you know and you can just blurt it out um, I do uh, know uh, that bolts, bolts. they use yeah, bolts, bolts as well. Yeah. yeah, there was bolts, and then uh, I know I was listening to an episode of Rates and Barrels the other day. I've been trying to catch up with them, Good luck. and they were they were talking about how the in, instead of using average sprint speed, using the um, 
how they have it on StatCast divvied up into the after 40 feet, after 45 feet, after 50 feet. Mm. And that if you look at the first like 60 feet, um, their sprint speed in that zero to 60 feet, that's actually more determinant of stolen bases than average sprint speed on the whole. But even then, that's not taking into consideration, you know, is this a team who's going to give their player the green light? It, were they just running in this set situation? It, it, stolen bases, I, I find myself like just running crazy, literally trying to figure it out. Like it's, it's yeah, it, insane. It is, it is the hardest. It, it honestly, I'm sure there, there are people out there smarter than I am that have figured out some math behind it. It always comes down to, do I want to put a roster spot dedicated to a guy who I think is fast enough that he's going to try to steal this many bases or not? That's it. I'm either basically punting stolen bases out of necessity because I'm, I'm not going to, as aggressive as I am, I'm not going to roll the dice on people who are maybes in that area. I'm either going to dedicate a spot and say, this guy's got to get me stolen bases or I lose or I move on. Like it's, yeah. It is such a... Uh, function of the landscape of the league, yeah. of the team that they're on, of every single situation opportunity. I mean, what if not? Not that this can actually happen, but what if every time this player's on, there's a there's a runner in front of them. You know, it just it desire doesn't matter at that point. There's not an opportunity. So it it is probably the most volatile, like back end math. I'm sure the actual front end of what you see is fine because you do see that some guys. They do run, but to get to that point, it's almost, it's almost where like when Trevor story started stealing bases, that was just an awesome bonus. That mm. was not a, I think this guy who's generally known to be a high batting average, high power output type of player at shortstop. I think he's going to start running. Like there, there might've been something there, but I didn't see it. And then when he did that, you're, you're now left with, do I want to take Trevor's story earlier because I think that's going to continue? Or am I going to avoid him because I, I don't want to overpay for steals? Or am I going to hope I get Trevor's story for his power? And if he gives me stolen bases, great. So stolen base projections, uh, Felipe, you are, you are right. That that is the one area where you have to be, I would be the most conservative in the world on stolen base where anything I get above the baseline they're showing me is an awesome bonus. I would never, aim to say, oh, 25 stolen bases is what they're saying. Yeah, I'm going to get that. I would, I would say that's like 12 if I'm lucky. Yeah, that happens. Adalberto Mondesi, according to AT, ATC statistics, uh, is supposed to steal over 50 bases this yeah. year. I, I like Ariel's projections, too. I, I do like Ariel's projections, ATC. That's, uh, uh, hold on. That's Ariel Cohen. Uh, yeah. You can see his uh, projections at Fangraphs. Go ahead, Sean. Uh, but no, talking about Adalberto Mondesi and stolen bases, I, I feel like I just kind of want to mention this. But in the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational, um, we're about uh, – we're just into round 18 now. And uh, was it Nick Mariano, I believe who it is. He had the 15-1 turn at the very end, and he went with the craziest thing I think I've ever seen in a draft. He picked Alberto Mondesi at 115 and Trevor Bauer at 2-1. And it was just, like, mind-blowing. And he was so coy and funny about it after the, after the fact. But then I, I started realizing like, damn, he's going to, he just, you know, got the best steals off the board. I was like, how am I going to, it really made me think about how am I going to attack steals and all of my hitter picks, basically my first six or seven hitter picks 
All of them I anticipated some form of stolen bases from, at least five, I think. Uh, Trevor Story was one, and then I had Harper at two. Th- those two guys right there, I'm hoping for at least a combined 30. That's being conservative. Yeah. Um, Trent Grisham was one of my next ones. He could be like 20 by himself. And since we're not masochist and this isn't a net stolen base, <laughs> change net stolen bases, Felipe. Um, Never. And then, you know, I added like Nick Madrigal, who we really don't know how much he's going to be allowed to run. I, I would hope that Tony LaRusso goes full boomer and is just like, yeah, everybody's going to run. And um, if he bats 320 and has a 350 on base, he's going to get like 150 attempts to run. So right. Tommy Edmund was another guy. And so I'm just trying to build it brick by brick, but there's definitely ways to go about it. You can either get Adalberto Mondesi and just win by default stolen bases. <laughs> you can try and build piece by piece and have no clue where you're going to end up, or you can just straight punt it. But then if you play in a league that has overalls, you know, out of multiple leagues, it's kind of hard to win any sort of overall if you punt any category. So you kind of put yourself in a bind there. But it's well, it's that, so interesting. I hate chasing it, but I hate just punting it too. That's why I say though, you have to be you have to basically decide: Am I going to dedicate a roster spot to this person? Because as much as I am aggressive with getting my guys, how I always phrase it, like Albert Adelberto Mondesi was one of my guys last year, and actually felt that like he disappointed me because of how how I expected him to win me stolen bases alone. And also provide a batting average and, you know, Ah. be everything (laughs) that I I needed. Right. So, right. So that's the problem is at one point, and again, this is hypocritical for me to say, because I am a a psychopath when it comes to drafting, but you are, you are sacrificing something to get that guy. Thank you. Like you are giving, you know, out of Bertha Mondesi, yes, you're going to win stolen bases. And honestly, it's really not a bad play. It's never a bad play, but there, there are, there are some, potential downfalls. I, I used to draft uh, Billy Hamilton yep. every single year with the expectation I, I would stolen bases and he didn't win me stolen bases. And now I had a roster spot that was killing me on five categories. And it like, I was willing to trade four categories for a legit win, but I didn't get it. So that's one thing is what if it doesn't happen? And the second thing is each time you're taking those guys, and I'm not saying that they weren't the best available, but the Trevor story example to me is is the best case scenario meaning you're not drafting him for speed you said brick by brick and that's the right way to do it but you're doing the 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 actual bulk of that brick is everything else trevor story gives you where the stolen bases are an amazing bonus like trent grisham i love but if he doesn't run and doesn't hold all of his numbers which ended up being very good like you you could have missed someone else for that and again i'm saying this is a complete hypocrite i'm only I'm I'm viewing it from the opposite side because I'd make this mistake with how aggressive I draft. At least we should at least present that like when you're making that move to slowly piece together stolen bases, you are almost definitely sacrificing someone else you could have been drafting that could give you something more stable. So if your decision yep. is always let me hope I get stolen bases, but I'm drafting this guy for someone else, to me that's the best way to not if you don't get Mondesi or a Mondesi like then to me, it's always, I'll take the stolen bases that come with this guy. But I could be wrong. You might, listen, if you end up, Sean, if you end up beating that guy in stolen bases, you are so far ahead of the game because you have, if that guy, if Christian's giving you stolen bases, he's probably not sinking you anywhere at that point. And you, you probably win, honestly. 
So it's the, to me, it's, the, it's that debate. It's do I dedicate a guy like Mondesi, a roster spot to a guy, or do I want to build it where it's the bonus to me? Mm-hmm. That's well, the, the said guy who had Mondesi, he also went and just said the F you to everybody in terms of stolen bases. And he picked up Whit Merrifield as well. So I don't if, hate that at all. I actually yeah. think that that's kind of the way you're going to do it, right? Like, just when in doubt, are, just pick a Royals player. Down. Yeah. <laughs> Nicky Lopez season. Yep. Let's go. <laughs> but no, it's something I've been preaching for a, 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 ever since this is like pre- before Sean and I would just be me, me and Mario talking uh, on the podcast uh, way, way back, like talking maybe 2016, 2017. And that was always my gripe. Like, why would I want to draft Billy Hamilton? And then years later, why would I want to draft Bradley Zimmer? when that's all they're going to do is steal bases. And if they don't steal bases, I'm screwed. I, I'm out four yeah. categories and I don't want to deal with that. And the, and the, uh, the argument was, well, stolen bases are such a, 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 a commodity, a high commodity that you kind of have to take that risk. And I've done that before. I've, I've drafted Billy Hamilton and Malik Smith and Bradley Zimmer. Uh, I think almost at the same time, same team. And that was brutal. I hated that team and I never went right. so, no, never again. Like if I'm going to get somebody with stolen bases, I'm going to go after a Trevor story. Cause even if he steals like five stolen bases, at least he's not hurting me elsewhere. Like with, with the crazy leagues that I play and you know, where I have to account for all the other categories as well, at least he's not hurting me. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking for that. Um, I'm always looking for that power speed combination. Uh, even though that's uh, not a, probably a good way of, of winning fantasy by still uh, with uh, punting stolen bases in that in that manner, but I just I can't do it. I'm not going. I'm not going to chase Miles Straw because he can get me 25 oh, stolen bases. You know why you're going to chase Miles Straw? You know, no. You know why? Why? Because he has a career 390 uh, on base percentage in the minors, and he's fast as hell. And he has great defense. You There's nobody that's going to fight him for the center field job in Houston. Right. Oh, I am all over Miles Straw. I could have sworn Miles Straw. No, screw that. I could have sworn that Billy is. Hamilton also had a high on base percentage when you he do, was but... in fantasy uh, or when he was in the minor leagues as well. So, no, I'm not doing this. <laughs> Go ahead, Mario. Both, honestly, both of you. No, no, both of you are right. That's uh, like that's why this becomes such a difficult thing. You have so many paths to doing the right thing. But, I mean, I, honestly, I, I was the one who was drafting Billy Hamilton foolishly. And I still, to this day, I really can't decide if I made a mistake or not because in the moment, it was Miles Straw. Like, he's going to – maybe he won't win it alone because someone else will have Mondesi. But, like, he's going to keep me afloat in a category that is so difficult to, to fill. It's hard to say that's not the right decision, but when you do it and he doesn't give you the one thing he needs, it is a crippling blow to your team. It's it's such a high risk, high reward move yep. that I, I'm not going to say I won't do it because that's not in my like strategy. Like I, my strategy is to be crazy, but <laughs> I have to like admit, you know, to anyone like there are many ways to failing and only one way to succeeding. The only way to succeed. If that guy gives you the stolen bases you need, otherwise you're burning something. So it's a, it's a delicate, uh, you know, tightrope to walk. That's a very good point. And the last thing I wanted to, so we can uh, transition to the 2021 stuff. Uh, first and foremost, the DH was awesome in the national league. It just solved so many problems. Uh, you know, Sean being a Mets fan and I kind of being a quasi Mets fan over here, when in doubt, just pick a Mets player off waivers. Cause everybody's playing now. Um, 
the Cubs could have used this a, a few years back, but they they also took advantage of it by so suddenly getting Ian Happ to have more regular at playing time and finding out, hey, he's finally living up to some of that first round potential that the Cubs were hoping for that they were getting when they drafted him a while back ago. So I hope they bring it back uh, after this year. I know there's gonna that that's being used as a as a bargaining chip uh, for the collective bargaining agreement that's gonna uh, cease to exist exist soon. But if they can just bring that to the National League, that would be great. Uh, all problems will be solved. More hitters on the player pool to tick. So I was really happy with that. So crossing my fingers that they bring it back sometime soon. And lastly, the last thing I learned about uh, 2020, once and for all, man, pitching sucks. It's, <laughs> there's no, no better way to put it. It just sucks. It really sucks. I, 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 it's the suckiest suck that ever sucked. But no, it's like outside of like the elite pitchers, the Jacob DeGroms, the Garrett Coles, the Shane Beavers, the Trevor Bowers, all those guys, anything after that, you might as well just interchange them and, 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 and just pick at random as to who you want to be anchoring your starting rotation because they're all going to be, it's so volatile. Last year's top 10 looks different than this year's top 10. And then even before then the top 12 look a lot different than the years prior top 12. It's no stability outside of the top two or three. And, um, and the same thing with relief pitchers, relief pitchers is even worse because all the closers you thought were closers (laughs) are no longer closing. And I mean, Roberto Ozuna literally went from like a top five closer pick to not having a team. (laughs) <laughs> right and he's right. still not he's still not on the team and he's uh, assumedly perfectly healthy i mean the, there was the rumor that they wanted him to have tommy john and he didn't want to have tommy john so they that was the reason they didn't re-sign him back yeah but it's like is uh, all these how many relievers last year did we see that jumped up from a ball i mean that had never played above high a or even double a or triple a and then they came up and they did somewhat well and who's to say that if they do lock down some sort of late inning role that's, you know, consistent and somebody's like, Ooh, I'm going to pick them for my saves hold league. Cause he's getting a lot of holds or, or he got a lot of holds last year. And then the league just catches up to him because there are some 20 random year old reliever who hasn't pitched above double a, and then they start getting shelled. It, it's like such a weird, the relief pitching work landscape is very weird just because of that influx of young players that we had last year. And I do uh, have that- a whole, topic of discussion for relief pitchers only so let's save that for the 2021 stuff okay. uh, mario you were going to say something no i was going to say that the only other comment is that there it's it's also because teams are placing such a higher importance on more innings from your relievers yeah. where your starter isn't going seven eight innings he's going five mm-hmm. so all of a sudden you have not only uh, like sean was saying guys who have never pitched at a high level but they're being asked to pitch the sixth and seventh innings of a one run game so that you can get to your guy that you have in the eighth inning and ninth inning. It's, it's, it is a, the relief pitcher. Uh, I don't even know how, how to describe it. Just the world of relief pitching right now is so wild because if you get a good one on a real baseball team, forget fantasy, yeah, you are so inclined to say, this is my sixth inning person, my seventh yep. inning person, you know, high, you're so high inclined. Levels. Yeah. Because that's now, that's how these teams are planning to win games. They don't know if their pitcher is going to go into the seventh inning. So if I can get a 20 year old, who's going to give me the sixth inning every time, then that's my sixth inning guy until he's not. Yeah. And then we take the next one. It's a really wild shift of, of mentality, you know? Yeah. But and, God, I, I jumped in. I know you want to go believe pitching later. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's fine. It's fine. It's a good segue. It's a good uh, sneak peek, but I just wanted to bring up something. Uh, Billy Hamilton. I I'm just seeing what he, you know, and I lost the page. But anyway, he had a I, career 350 uh, on base in the minors. I looked it up. Uh, Straw, that's like a 40 point difference. Come on now. 
Well, no, granted, Sherrod was... didn't run as uh, run as much in the minors as. No, I, I, I literally just say, but Billy Billy Hamilton was like the stolen base guy. It, you know, he was. Yeah. It almost felt like he bases. would never get caught. No, here I wanted to individually call it out, like per season, 2010 rookie league, 383. You know, 2011 he dipped to 340, but he stole over 100 stolen bases, so it kind of uh, balanced he stole out. 100 bases in yeah. a season. Like he that. stole 155 in 132 games in 2012. That's it's wild. Amazing. High it's A, amazing. high it's A, four thirteen, high A, four thirteen, double A, four oh six, triple A. Well, I mean, he went dropped to three oh eight, but by then the uh, Reds were ready to just bring him up already. But I mean, that's. They all look nice when they're in the minor leagues. I'm just saying. Um, okay, so let's 2021 manifesto. Uh, what are we going to? Uh, how are we planning for the season moving forward? And I guess my thing would be everybody. Everything starts fresh in 2021. Something that we alluded to earlier uh, in the podcast. But I mean, last year, like I said, just a dream, a nightmare for some. Let's start fresh for this 2021 season, and. You know, it, it feels like almost like a. And Sean, let's start with you. It almost start. It feels like a restart of sorts. Is that the way you see it, or do you see a little bit different than I do here? Uh, I. A restart in like what 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 context? Like, are like, you saying everybody's just starting over, or uh, kind of like compare? Like, relatively speaking to like the 2020 season, I feel like 2021 is like this uh this fresh outlook I mean, think about how where, where we were last year we were getting ready to draft these players and then all of a sudden there's that the virus that's coming and now we don't know if there's going to be a season and then the season starts in july and chaos ensues you know now there's a designated here in the national league now there's uh added uh playoff teams uh, to deal with and you know we don't know how people are going to react to covid Players are going on COVID protocol like nothing, like like they're going on the IL. Teams are getting in trouble with COVID. It, it seems like it was just a bad dream. And then, of course, you have the on the, the results of the, uh, the players playing, um, which is what we talked about. Some players took advantage of the short season. Other players struggle with the short season. Uh, it's it's I don't know. I just feel like this year is a I, I fresh outlook for a lot for of players. I, I think I, now after you rambled for a little bit and bought me some time, I do think that. In 2020, especially once they finally decided, hey, this is going to be a, a season that's going to be really weird, really different. I think some teams saw a 60-game schedule, uh, teams like the Marlins, and said, hey, maybe we can win. And there were teams like Arizona. Arizona kind of did the same thing where they were kind of in it until the very end, and then they realized, hey, we're, we're not winning this. Screw it. And um, – but I think a lot of teams that wouldn't normally try to win did try to win. And I think that is often good for fantasy. Uh, you see teams that really try and, you know, scrap to the – they're not – I'm not saying that players go out there and try and lose on purpose. I, I don't think that's the case at all. But there is an obvious situation sometimes where you see teams not try to win. They don't put their players in the best position to win. Uh, that didn't happen as much as I thought last year. Um but now going into 2021, those teams like the Marlins, uh, the Royals, granted the Royals, who I think could be 2021's Miami Marlins, in which they kind of sneak in, uh, not into the playoffs perhaps, but into the picture. I, I think more teams are not going to try to win in 2021, which it isn't like a bold prediction or anything, but there's uh, so many teams out there that it just, it's so blatantly obvious they're not trying to win. And when a team's blatantly not trying to win, their star player probably doesn't care as much. They're less likely to have one dude who gets all the saves, 
unless you're like Shane Green on those really crappy Tigers teams five years ago. Um, so it's it's bad for baseball as a whole, but it's also bad for fantasy. Um, so it, it's it's tough. Uh, Mario, what about can, you? Can What's, I, oh yeah, go ahead, Mario. I was I actually want to jump in on that because Sean, I I think you one hundred percent nailed it with the comment of some teams looked at the season and said, "Hey, we can do this." I think that is the between the short season and the expanded playoffs. You had two avenues for a team like the Marlins who nobody, and I still would say, even if you gave me, you know, a hundred more games, nobody would expect them to make the playoffs. Even with last year's starting point, if you said, okay, we're starting at 31 and 29 and playing the rest of the year and keeping the amount of teams, we still don't think you'd make the playoffs. So you had two ways though. you had a short season and an expanded playoffs. So you had teams, aim for something they never aimed for before, which is very cool to see as a baseball fan. But where I really thought would, would go wrong is that you had teams like the Dodgers and the Yankees and the Rays who are going to throw their gloves out there and make the playoffs. I mean, yeah. there was almost no physical way that the Dodgers and Yankees could have missed the playoffs when you're letting in half the league and you're playing 60 games. It's almost impossible. So I thought you'd see a, a I don't know, I don't know if I'd call it a regression, but let's call it a more level average of wins across the board because your bad teams are playing better and your your good teams are not trying as hard. That actually didn't happen. Now the Yankees almost missed the playoffs. If you you know go yeah. back and look at the the end of the end run of September, they needed some wins. But like Tampa Bay won forty games, the Dodgers won forty three games. They, they were forty three and seventeen. So. As much as I expected, like a more level um, playing field, just because good teams would not like the Dodgers didn't need 43 wins to get in, but they were just so much better than everyone that it didn't matter. Right. So the starting point of what you said, completely agree that it, it was good for baseball and it was an interesting twist to see bad teams trying. What I am curious about is how hard will that fall be now for Miami um, for like, I thought Toronto would have been a playoff team last year, 60 games or 160 games. They had all the right makings of a team right at the pop, but they, they just did it right. Like they, they did make the playoffs. I don't know if they're going to now like follow that up with the, okay, we're going to do this and then do it again for three more months. I, I am more curious about all those fringe teams that did make their push. Will they drift back towards, it's not in my best interest to, you know, rush a guy up for service time issues. I, I don't know. I, I think I think we might get I think we might get more 2019 approach, like mm. much much more hardcore, with the exception of if the league says we're going to expand the playoffs again. If they keep the same, you know, normal playoff format and 162 games, I think those teams that wanted to compete are going to take that same step backwards and say, no, nah, look at if you're in the NLS right now. And we're telling you that only two teams are getting in at most from your division. How can you compete if you're not the Dodgers or Padres? Rockies you, are going to be like, I'm out of here. Bye, guys. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like uh, the Rockies were, and I just saw it before, they were 26 and 34, which last year wasn't really that close, but also wasn't that far. You take that 26 and 34 through 60 games, and the Dodgers are 13 or 14 games ahead of you, and the Padres are 11 games ahead of you. How do you finish that season? 
you know, how do you, how do you continue to compete throughout? It, it seems like we're going to get a, a stronger reaction. I guess it's a regression, but it's more of like a stronger reaction back to the original plan. You know, Miami, like you said, saw that moment and seized it, but they're not going to have that moment this year. So how are they going to handle it? And when they fall behind four other real teams in the NL East, that to me is what I'm most curious about is, will they just go back to winning 60 games and losing a hundred or will they hang around? Cause that would be immensely impressive this year. If a team can hang around, that doesn't belong. I uh, just wanted to read some of the comments here before we move on. Uh, Jet, who uh, is in our baseball, the fan tracks league, we were alluding to the Rain baseball life. No, no uh, runner up. Oh, runner up. Uh, yeah. my, my, Aaron, my, my bad. Our tri commissioner won the league again last year. So uh, I decree that all asses will be kicked. My team will reign supreme, he says. Okay. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, he'll be having like 10 Milwaukee Brewers and then wonder why his team sucks. Okay. Hey, Joel, we all laughed at his team in the draft last year. Yeah, and look where I he know, ended up. I, I mean, yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we gave him a lot of hell and he ended up in second place. So yeah, we talked or, about it. We it, talked a lot about with it. Brandon Woodruff. Like he was yeah. the one that going into last year, Brandon Woodruff was kind of like a novel act. We weren't really sure like whoa, what to whoa, expect. Whoa. I from was, him. Uh, hold on, brother. I okay. was all in on Brandon Woodrow. Okay, but were you in on him like where he was in on him? And then oh, oh where he wasn't? No. Yeah, I think he got him like in the fourth or fifth round. And we're, we're all looking at each other like, what the hell's going on here? Uh Joe, uh, who's chiming in, no one knows how to project starting pitching this year. It's going to be a lot of fun playing the fab game, which uh what does that stand for? Fab? Uh free age. Free oh, it's, it's how much you spend like on waivers or whatever. You know, it's a yeah, an auction waiver essentially. All yeah. right. Uh Henry's chiming in. Uh how much is Sean going to eat when Glaybar has a breakout season? And we already see that Sean <laughs> has been eating this whole yeah. time. I, I had to get my breakfast up, you know, finally yeah. got delivered. Well, here's my breakfast right here. I haven't even opened the packaging of it yet. So uh, let's move on. Uh, the other thing I wanted to point out, it's the return of the catcher. Last year, Sean and I had this big time argument. I think Mario was a witness to it all. Maybe or maybe not. Uh, but uh, last year, I, th- I saw the catching landscaping landscape and I thought to myself, wow, it's really thin here. You need to, I, I think this year I'm going to need to chase after a top five catcher and the guy I was targeting was Salvador Perez. Cause he was a uh, catcher number four or five. Yeah, and, and the guy up. who hadn't played in a, a full season because he missed all yeah. 2019, <laughs> which was kind of crazy to think, but yeah, well, that's how, I mean, that's how thin catcher was last year in 2020. And, and, and it's a tale of two teams for me. I only have two teams, but they're both keeper leagues uh, in the one league and the fan tracks league, the baseball life league. I drafted Salvador Perez in my points league. I did not draft Salvador Perez and I went with someone else. I can't remember that name. Long story short, Salvador Perez ended up outplaying all those guys that I ended up with in the other league. Uh, whoever I drafted got dropped in my points league right away. I I went with Austin Nola before I settled with Travis Darno, so I got lucky that I found a good replacement. Meanwhile, in my fan, in the baseball life fan tracks league, it's all kosher. I mean, Salvador Perez is producing; he's hitting for average and getting on base. He got hurt, comes back, and it's like he didn't miss any time. But uh, yeah, it, everything about Salvador Perez came to fruition in 2020. 2021, however, is a little different for me. I see more catchers, a surplus of catchers now for like better than last year. Now this is all relative. I mean, catcher still sucks, but I mean, for God's sake, Gary Sanchez is catcher number 12. I'm looking, Mario, I don't know about you, but I'm looking at Gary Sanchez number 12. I'm like, Hey, good looking. How you doing? (laughs) The ugly chick at the bar, the chick that bats 200 at the bar. (laughs) Hey man, there's inner beauty in all of us. All right. But no, seriously, catcher number 12. You're telling me Gary Sanchez, or even like I told Sean, you're telling me James McCann could be had at the catcher number 13. I think I might wait a little while. 
I might wait a little longer on catcher and not go aggressively after the JT Real Mudos, the uh, uh, Will Smiths, like Sean goes after Will Smith a lot. For, uh, sorry, I'm I, I do want to say this uh, in, in the Grand Fantasy Baseball Invitational Draft. Yeah. Uh, I did have a moment where I did, I reached for Will Smith because I wasn't sure he was going to make it around to me 20 something picks later. And when 20 something picks did come back around, I almost did something unheard of and went double catcher with back-to-back picks inside the top 10. I almost picked Will Smith and then I was going to pick Salvador Perez. And I was oh so close to just being like, screw you league. You guys get stuck with the crappy catchers. I'm getting the good ones. And I was going to send, I I had a plan. I was going to send it to Felipe and everything. And then finally the rational part of my brain said, no, you idiot. Don't draft two catchers with your first 10 picks. And I can't remember who ended up picking, but I picked somebody else instead. I think it was Denelson Lamette or something like that. Probably for the best, to be yeah. honest. It's so, coming from me. After redoing my rankings, so uh, the uh, this whole weekend, I actually do have Gary Sanchez at number seven. But still, I mean, he was like top three last year. Now he's number seven. Right. Uh, but I, I feel like there's more depth. I mean, guys like Mitch Garver and Carson Kelly, Danny Jansen, those are in the top 15. I think you can – I don't know about you guys. Let's start with you, Mario. Can you live and die drafting – a Mitch Garver, Carson Kelly, or Danny Jansen at the 13, 14, or 15 spots there? I think your comment before is the only way I've ever approached catchers and only way I ever will approach catchers. If I know that there's one or two or three, and it, it could be, there could be a season where there's like five legitimately good ones, but if there are, there's always going to be a finite amount of awesome catchers, yeah. and the rest are always going to be bums. Always, <laughs> always, no matter what. If you can find... Two things. I always approach it this way. I have my studs that if they're there, I'd like them. And honestly, if you're in a two-catcher league, like your, your league is a two-catcher league, and I generally feel a need to get a good catcher there because I don't want two bums on my team if I can help it. But right. if I can get a stud, I'm going to get a stud. And, and years ago, and you remember this because you, know, you called me out on it, I took Gary Sanchez and uh, JT Romero. So that was, all of that was uh, a long time ago. But long they time. were bad. They ended yeah. up being bad. And, like, again, it's the same thing like the stolen base. If you're going to live with that approach, you're going to die with that approach if they don't do what you need. So I always try to take the what I call bums and honestly put a lot more effort into it than I assume someone else is going to put into it and say, okay, of these 10 guys who I know five of them will be available in the last round, who really has a chance to be something special? And the way I always do, the reason I always do that is because I, and this is, I'm sure I'm not the only one, but there's also a inherent to my personality thing. If I draft a guy in the last round, I'm willing to cut him. If I draft a guy in the 10th round, I felt like I paid a price for him that I'm not willing to let go of just yet. So one of the reasons I force myself to wait on catcher is because if I take it, if I take one of five guys in the 20th round, and then within a week, he's not doing what I think he should have been doing, I don't mind replacing a 20th round pick. I feel worse if I have to cut, or like, even if I have to bench Gary Sanchez. Like, I'm not going to cut him right now because I think I, I took him for a reason, but if I spend a middle-ish round pick on a catcher, I'm more in, uh, inclined to see it through. So, I like what you said about the, there's a bunch of guys I can get later. Yeah, that's, that's really, to me, focus your attention on, okay, if all of those guys made it to me, who really could become a top five catcher? Because I, I'm mm. telling you right now, there is almost always a top five catcher by the end of the season that you could have gotten in one of the latest rounds. Almost always. Because yeah. 
it's a combination of the top guys getting hurt, which they do because they're catchers. Yep. And the bad guys just outperforming. They're not, you know, some guys can hit and they don't, they don't come to, uh, you know, they don't grow until they've given the opportunity. And then all of a sudden they're, they're legit. So yes, I'm always a top tier and then nothing else for the last round type of guy. I look at James McCann and he's projected to get 452 plate appearances and he's uh, ranked at number 11. I'm all in, man. I, I might just steal yeah. that guy, a guy from all the Mets fans, you know, like I always do in, in these drafts in, in these leagues is I, I steal these players from the Mets fans and then the Mets fans wonder, hey, how come I didn't draft them? But th- <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm talking about, though. Like, that's why that's what I'm because it's a good valid point you make about, hey, you might want to go after the top three catchers or whatever. But no, I, <laughs> I think this year, I think it's a little bit deeper than last year. Last year, I would have been panicking like, no, I'll go after Salvador Perez and, and just call it a day. And uh, I got talked out of it by Sean. I think maybe that's why I didn't draft him in my points. Oh, league, yeah. But... Just blame it on me. Just blame yeah, but, it hey, on hey, me. I'm just Sean, saying. I would have tried to fuck him out of it, too. I would have fought <laughs> that one, too. But you uh, see, my, my thing, but... I, I don't want to spend too much more time on catcher. But, like, with Gary Sanchez, it's like you're hoping for Joey Gallo performance. But it's like we turn on blinders to how much he's going to hurt us everywhere else, especially in batting yeah. average. It's like we put on but these blinders just... that we don't put on with Joey Gallo. With Joey Gallo, know, it's like – you know why? Why? I, I got to jump in, though. It's because you got to start a catcher. That's the problem because <laughs> exactly. you have to exactly. start somebody. So if you're going to start somebody, my God, give me something, man. Like, and I, I just you know, get, I can get, get Omar Narvaez outside the uh, top 350. He's going like 352nd in NFBC ADP. Yeah. And he's over, you know, over three sample season from 2017 to 2019, uh, 277 hitter, 360 on base. Uh, wasn't great with runs and RBIs, but at least he's given you batting average. He's not sinking you anymore. I, I agree. No, th- I'm. I should say that when I'm when I'm pushed against the wall and I can't find a catcher, I want to get the one who's going to hurt my team the least, and that would mean batting average. You know, if a guy gets out there and he doesn't give you any power it's almost the same as not starting anybody. But if the guy gets out there and he's betting 200, it's actually hurting your team. Yeah. So, and, and that's my thing with it, catchers. I'm looking for yeah. someone. I, I'm not looking to get like crazy production there. That's why I've never been huge on Gary Sanchez as a catcher in fantasy. It's just, I want someone who's going to hurt my team the least. It's, it's 100% not the wrong way to look at it. Uh, I'm only saying that the reason why you would go with the Gary Sanchez is because you have to plug somebody in there. And and on just the hope that he gives you some power, it changes everything. Yeah, it could be twenty free home runs your team didn't have. But that's yes, what, it's going to come at a cost. That's why I don't give up on Gary Sanchez ever. So. Oh, I no God, neither God, do no. I. <laughs> I'm out. Bye, yeah. Gary Sanchez. <laughs> like Gary Sanchez, <laughs> if the projections, ATC projections are true, he's going to lead the league in home runs by catchers. That's that's why you draft Gary Sanchez. I know. And, and that's, and, You're again, chasing upside. You have to plug someone in. You know, you got to put someone in that spot. The bat X yeah, has him second to Salvador Perez at 24. With it's, Salvador it, Perez at 24. It's, uh, as you can and tell, it's a uh, batting average. It's Sean's two favorite Maybe. catchers of all time, Salvador Perez and Gary Sanchez at the top of that list. So. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. I just wanted to uh, do some uh, quick hits here. Uh, I found out that there's a lot of depth all over the infield. Uh, except at second base, which it might be as bad, if not worse, than catcher. Mm-hmm. I think second base just totally blows. It's this always year. Yeah, it's been bad. 
that, but there's some years are better than others. I even, I think I told Sean like, Hey, you know, very early on in the, in this, in the year, 2021 season two of this podcast, I told Sean, Hey, Joey Wendell's available at catcher number 18. That's not a bad pick. <laughs> and then after a month of like regurgitating all these stats and figures and re-ranking all these guys, uh, catcher number 18 is now Andres Jimenez, which, you know, good guy. Catcher, but, you mean shortstop? Uh, he's listed at second, second base. base. Oh, second yeah. base. Okay. Well, I mean, he qualifies as short and third, but he's my 18th best second base. Andres Jimenez is really climbing up draft boards, and I think it's from people trying to find steals. Exactly. Like, he so. went really early yeah, in our TGFBI league, but it's like I like Andres Jimenez. I think he's going to be a really good player, but I'm not sure if he's going to be a really good fantasy player. He's one of those better in real life than better than he is in yeah, better in fantasy. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, but, and, but at the same time, people like the idea that that you know, with a good enough glove, you'll get enough at bats. With enough at bats, you'll be able to do something. So yeah, that, th- yeah, that's, that's probably it. the hope too with him. And well, so just, just to tell you, uh, the twelfth best ca- uh, second baseman uh, in my list is Gavin Lux, who Sean we talked about him last week with Austin. Is he playing? Is he not playing? The Dodgers like to move pieces around. They like to all he guys. has to do is beat out Chris Taylor. I don't and, know. Yeah, <laughs> the Dodgers so love Chris Taylor. So, I was say, that's so much harder to do than you realize. It's like, like oh. their son. Like they will not move on from Chris Taylor. So exactly, he's got to find another spot. He's not yeah, so oh god. I, like I, I tried to trade for him in my thirty team dynasty, and me and the guy came really close. We had an agreed upon package, and at the last second, I was just like, "Is he going to even play?" Like right. maybe he does like, after Seager yep. leaves and free agency, which I'm anticipating he will. But it's like for this upcoming season, because I'm trying to win this year, and I'm I'm, I'm all in. And it's like, is he going to play? I, I I don't know if he does play. I don't think this is here. Are honest. we even sure that Gavin Lux? I mean, we can look at his numbers in the minors, which were all great, especially when he gets to AAA. But I feel like those AAA numbers are so misleading because mm-hmm. while he was a good hitter before it, you look at him in the PCL, and it was just like. 1100 OPS over like 50 games, something like something crazy. And are we sure he's that type of hitter? Cause you look at his, you know, baseball savant stuff and you know, the whiffs a little high is, is he actually as good of a hitter as we think? I, I don't know. I'm a little worried about his floor, which if you looked at his minor league track record, you would think he has a very high floor, but at the major league level, is, is he just one of those guys that um, who, who's somebody that comes to mind? I was Oh God, there's a, the minor leaguer in my head that I can't think of who got briefly exposed and like just major league velocity and everything. He's, Jeez, his swing man. isn't built for well, it. Can you narrow it down a little more, to... Sean? Uh, <laughs> it wasn't Kyle Lewis. Kyle <laughs> yeah, Lewis really. was described as basically what I'm describing Lux to, but it was Kyle Lewis and somebody else. Oh God. Hey, what are we going to well, say, hold on. Let me, let me, not to go off on a full tangent here, but something that I'm starting to do with Dodgers position players. Oh boy. If you look at if you look at how quickly they develop as prospects, I've started to think to myself that like I'm going to start targeting prospects in the Dodgers organization. They must have something that like they must have a good you know instructional program for their hitters. But those same hitters have not necessarily translated, like you're saying, to elite major league baseball hitters. And I'm almost thinking that the value is in these minor league teams. The Dodgers specifically, minor league affiliates, like actually making the player perform better than they could. And then they go back to their average. Like Gavin Lux, what we're seeing right now in Major League Baseball, that might be all he is. He's just an average hitter. But they have such a great developmental program in the minor leagues that that these Dodgers prospects are getting almost inflated. So it almost feels like the right – like look at Corey Seager. 
course, even now, like, has been there long enough that now he's hitting again. Yeah. But he had right before his his um, he had Tommy John. Right? He had a, I'm forgetting if it was Tommy John or if it was a knee injury. But he had like a, it was Tommy John. Here, right? He had Tommy John, and then he had the hip surgery at what since he was Back already going to miss the, the season. Yeah. But right before he had the Tommy John surgery, I believe his numbers were like creeping back towards average where you almost have to question, is this the same Corey Seager that like looked like a no doubter? I mean, so, he was back to back six war, like 130 weighted runs created plus. He was insane. Those first two years. Was that right years. before he got hurt though? I thought, I thought he tailed off before he got hurt though. Uh, I my point. Remember. He might've already been so, hurting. Um, it's just cause I had Corey <laughs> Seager on my team. You do notice a dip, but it might've had to do more with the, uh, just the aches and the pains injury. of uh, yeah. In that 2018, before he went down with Tommy John, he slugged under 400. It's the only time he's done it in right. his career. Mm-hmm. So let's say let's say that it, I mean, obviously it's injury based, and that's that's one thing. But if it's not, my point is maybe he's closer to that 2018 Jesus. Corey Seager. But my goodness, he had such great not. development <laughs> over the minor leagues that he you know pop. And I, maybe that's a Gavin Lux thing too, is that he's actually not as good as his minor league numbers. But the Dodgers minor league system is so good in developing players that he was essentially playing over his head. I'm starting to consider that for a lot of the Dodgers hitters that were, you know, look at their minor leagues. Every single one of their hitters is amazing. It's impossible, but it's amazing. So there might be an inflation to that, that I'm willing to sell is my point with Gavin Lux as well. And uh, as promised, now we get to the pitching aspect of the things. Uh, it's one of the things I, I, I am writing in big, bold letters. Hold off on drafting pitchers as long as you can. I'm a sucker for a, a good pitcher. And like I said, I was high on Brandon Woodruff. And I remember telling Sean, and I might have told you, Mario, as well, that, hey, Mike Clevenger is available in my points league and my keeper points league. I think I'm going to – I can. there's a really good chance I can get him in the first round. And sure enough, I got him in the first round, and he didn't do anything for me because he got hurt. Yep. So yep. that's one one – manifesto that's part of my manifesto hold off be really disciplined among uh when doing pitchers uh sean is that are you having that same approach this year with starting pitchers and uh, starting pitcher is a an absolute fluster cluck um yep. as i heard for the first time the other day i thought that was a great take on the word um <laughs> according to the bat projections not the bat x there's not anything for pitchers for the bat x yet apparently Eno and Derek cardi are working on that so that should be oh, really interesting. interesting um but there are two all of two uh, pitchers projected to throw 200 innings. One is Garrett Cole right at 200 innings, and the other is Jacob DeGrom at 204 yep, yep, innings. And Bieber and Bauer are right there at 191, 192, Lance Lynn 190. I feel like the name of the game for fantasy pitching this year is going to be chasing innings. Uh, not necessarily wow. just chasing, like, you know, the strikeouts and the ratios, but if you can chase the innings – then simply by chasing, and this goes for other categories, you know, other years past as well, but especially this year, uh, if you chase the innings, then you're likely to along the way, get the strikeouts and get the wins. And so simply by chasing one stat, you're giving yourself a better chance at three, three categories, if that makes any sense. Of course, there are going to be some that kind of break the role with the ratios and the whips and whatnot. But like right now I'm looking at the bat projection for Lance Lynn. Um, Projected to go 13 and 10 with a 3.8 ERA, 190 innings, and a 1-2-1 whip. That ERA and whip isn't great, but if he gives me 190 innings, that's over 200 strikeouts because he's projected for 210 and 13 wins. I'm I I'm really liking Lance Lund this year just because he's one of those bona fide veterans who I know is going to go out there get the ball and throw a lot. Guys like him, Zach Grinky, um, Dallas Keuchel. 
to a degree, Marcus Stroman, even though he sat out all of 2020. I like these guys that I think will go out there and throw a lot of innings. Uh, Mario, how about your take on drafting starting pitchers in 2021? The, the, the best line Sean said there was, if you're going to go after innings, you're going to basically get other categories with it. Because take Lance Land, who I generally don't like, and I, w- I would avoid on any normal season. If you say that he's going to get 200 strikeouts, which is super possible based on the numbers. There are 10 pitchers maybe that might approach that number. And the guys who won't approach it will not even be close. You're not going to get 20, 30 pitchers in the 170 strikeout range. I don't think. I think you're going to get guys who are only going to throw 100 innings. And I don't care how good you are. If you throw 100 innings, you're not giving me 200 strikeouts. So, yeah, you have to – I mean, you have to – I think pay extreme premium for innings this year because you're just not going to get it for anyone. Like I last year, every single article I wrote, every single podcast I was on, everyone that asked me, I was buying Zach Gallen at any price. You told me I'd have to spend a second round pick for him. I would have done it. I loved Zach Gallen last year and I still love him, but are they going to make Zach Gallen jump up to 180 innings this year? I, I absolutely can't see it. Yeah, they, so they have been 160 myself. innings right now, and I think that's, that's really – that's aggressive. And I, I that, love right, Zach Gallon right. as much as you do, but he's somebody that I'm not looking at in drafts because Arizona's well, playing the, the long so, con here. Exactly. So, are, you know, what do you – and again, I say this, but like, you know, during the course of a season, I want to – you don't win in the playoffs if you don't make the playoffs, so you got to get there. But like right. you get to September and they shut down Zach Gallon, your fantasy team loses, what, your, your ace or your second-best pitcher at that point? Like – that's a killer. And yeah. if Lance Lynn is still throwing, I mean, I would never, ever, ever draft Lance Lynn above Zach Gallon in a normal, everything across the board, even season. But here I am saying that I don't think I could draft Zach Gallon, but Lance Lynn throwing 200 innings <laughs> is that much more valuable. Wow. So, yeah, I, the overall thing is innings is going to be everything this year. I don't know if you can accurate, accurately project who gets it. I think you can – semi-accurately project who doesn't get it. And that, are, unfortunately, is all the young arms I normally would be targeting. It's, it's Zach Gallen. Um, I don't know. I don't know if Lamette is going to uh, – I don't even know what Lamette's status is. At this you point. are just naming um, off my entire uh, TGFBI starting rotation. But there are <laughs> guys I would want. But what do you do? You know, like, the, these are the players who I would normally be all over. And, like, I, I, Mitch Keller was a guy I loved last year. And I still love Mitch Keller, but they're not going to give him 180 innings. He's if it's 100, I'll be happy. So all of a sudden, I have to. I mean, imagine imagine if your team gets an average of 170 innings from your starters, your fantasy team, and everyone else ends up averaging like 120. You have 50 innings on average per pitcher on everybody else in your league. That is a tremendous, like, just cavernous gap between everyone those 50 innings per pitcher gets you what 30 strikeouts even on a bad pitcher more than everyone like it's a it's a gigantic gap so innings will be everything this year and unfortunately that means anyone who didn't get to i don't even know what the higher you know uh like range was last year i know 12 starts was basically the most people got anyone who didn't approach that i can't see approaching 180 this year they're probably off my list, which is so sad to say. 
And then the other thing, the last thing I have on my list here uh, is about relievers. Uh, it's just as bad as starting pitching, if not worse. We alluded to earlier in the podcast, but basically I might just go aggressively chasing after the Aroldis Chapmans, the Liam Hendricks, and the Josh Haters of the world. And it's just really not even of the world. It's just those three guys. They have their own states. And and I had Josh Hader as my number one for a long time. But then I look at the landscape again of the relief pitching uh, with all 30 teams. And again, I cannot, for the umpteen time, I cannot bring myself to remove Aroldis Chapman from the top spot because, number one, he still throws gas. Uh, he'll get all the <laughs> save opportunities. And the Yankees have no plans of making him the high leverage guy anytime soon, because let's face it, Chapman, when you put him in that role, he struggles, but for the ninth inning to close out games and shut things down and get those last three outs, he was born to do that. So no, even though he's left-handed, no one's going to take him out uh, of that spot. Josh Hader, on the other hand, uh, Sean, we talk about it all the time. Brewers are pretty loaded at the bullpen and we're only uh, kind of just waiting for Devin Williams to just, take that role away from him when the hater gets closed <laughs> or when yeah. hater gets closed hater gets traded there you go and then and then liam Hendricks is uh he'd be number one but he's a little old but he's on the right team right place right time uh but those are the top three and everything else is just a crapshoot i mean you might want to make a case for edwin diaz to be a part of it but i'm not i i think he's in the next tier but the next year after that it just, it just thumbs down so my thing is you're my you're better off just drafting for upside in terms of uh, not just necessarily getting those saves, but just getting maybe those good ratios, like the whips and the ERAs and, and those high strikeouts uh, from a relief pitcher, like a Devin Williams, right? Who's not a closer, but he will for, uh, put some ungodly numbers. At least that's the hope. And then get the safe floor veterans and um, who are listed as closer with the, keeping an eye on the other guys on the, on his team who, have higher upside with the strikeouts and the faster velocities and then, you know, attacking them on the waiver wires. So if not, if you want to get really aggressive drafting them very, very late in the draft, uh, Sean, how you, how's your outlook on relievers this year? Well, usually, especially in points, I like, I'm much better at gauging relievers and points. And um, I think really? that's just cause I'm always pretty good at identifying these relievers that are just good and not worrying about what their role is essentially. I mean, obviously their role is still important, but if they're getting holds, then I don't really care as much about their saves. But I missed the boat so bad in uh, my TGFBI league last night. Uh, so I, you you saw where I picked, you know, Madrigal and Fletcher as my training wheels for Joey Gallo. Well, right after I picked David Fletcher, um, I, I knew my next pick was going to be a relief pitcher because my only relief pitcher to that point was James Karinczak, who I got early in round seven. Yeah. And this was all the way back in the 14. So I'm like, okay, I need to get my second relief pitcher. After I pick Fletcher, Jordan Hicks goes three picks later. Amir Garrett, four picks later. Drew Pomerantz, six picks later. Uh, there's one more. Who am I missing? I, I went right past him. And uh, oh God, I, I, can't, I, I can't find their name. But yeah, all these players that who I were looking at as my second relief pitcher just went right in front of me. And I just sat there. I was like, damn you, David Fletcher. Um, but I ended up with Taylor Rogers and I really do like Taylor Rogers, but as you talked about that whole left-handed thing, I think is going to be so tough, especially since they went out and got Alex Colomay. I don't like Alex Colomay. I think he's really bad. I think he's going to fall off a cliff. He's been overperforming like for like four years in a row. I mean, literally every successive batting average on base, Woba, you look at his expected Woba and expected ERA and they're way higher. Um, and I think Taylor Rogers is still the best relief pitcher in that bullpen, but how many chances does he get? 
I mean, mm-hmm. Trevor May's out of the equation. Maybe Alex Colomay gets plugged in and just fills in the Trevor May role. I don't know. You would think they're bringing him into close, but it's it's tough. And of course, right after I pick Taylor Rogers, uh, J.D. Davis, who's going to be my starting third baseman on the short turn, gets picked. And uh, <laughs> yeah, well, my, my starting third baseman is Heimer Candelario. And I still don't have a first baseman or a quarter infielder. And it yeah, is you do. looking. You have a first baseman in Heimer Candelario. He. I had to move him. I had to move him to third base. And I still don't have a first baseman or a quarter infielder. Before I go to Mario, I just want to point out. Okay, so I, I can't read, but let me re- read my my note here. You, the strategy that I'm gonna probably utilize is I might want to draft the upside setup and middle relievers over the safe floor veterans listed as closers. So getting those uh, seventh, eighth inning guys might pay off dividends uh later on in the season number two about taylor rogers just to show you how the mighty have fallen here rogers was uh, in january and maybe early february before the alex colome um uh signing by the twins was constantly listed at six seven no worse than eighth the eighth best relief pitcher coming into this season and I, in my mock drafts i was like aggressively getting taylor rogers because i was under the impression that the twins were not going to utilize him as a high leverage guy but be comfortable with him being the closer after Alex column he's now listed as the 15th best relief pitcher and he's even behind a guy like devin williams who we just talked about like wait devin williams is the fourth is he closing no yeah i mean taylor rogers still had nine saves in 2020 and that was a high amount for most relief pitchers last year i think who led the lead? It was Brad Hand led with like twelve or sixteen, oh God. and it, it wasn't it wasn't that high of an amount. Um, so I mean, at this point, like I draft Taylor Rogers, he, I I'm hoping for a thirty save season like in 2019. I know I'm probably not getting that because of Alex Colomay, but oh uh, yeah, yeah, relief pitching is just hell in Roto. <laughs> I hate relief relief pitching Roto hell. So Mario, you had mentioned a little bit of uh, a little bit of a uh, relief pitching. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, strategy on your end. Uh, anything else you need you wanted to add from uh, your uh, statements from earlier this podcast? No, it's, it's not great. I'm, I'm kind of torn in both camps. Uh, if I if I think during a draft that everyone is just I, I can't find this to be likely, but if everyone is just totally bailing on the people who are actually listed as closers, because like. You mentioned Alex Colomay. We know he's not good. Every fantasy baseball <laughs> manager in the that. world knows he's not Yeah, we're going to pick him because he's going to get saves. But, but he's every, not good. But, I mean, it's, but, but like these teams just have this obsession with, well, if he closed before, the Shane Green he effect. must be able to close again. It's amazing. Right. So like you put Alex Colomay on a team and you say, Will, would he be a relief pitcher on your fantasy, fantasy roster? The answer is 100% no. But then you say, well, wait, he's, he's closing games. And you're like, well, I got to draft him. I have to, you know, somebody's got to get those saves. So I'm basically going to see how each draft goes where, I mean, you know, you mentioned James Karinchek. Like he's, he's kind of a home run guy because he's so good. Devin Williams kind of a home run guy because he's so good. Other than those guys, I'm going to basically see if in a given draft, are people totally just ignoring the guys listed as closers? If so, I'll take them and, and hope that, the saves numbers are actually right. And if they start going, then I'm going to take just the best reliever on a team. There's nothing else you can do at this point, you know, get talent, which I don't mm-hmm. normally do because saves are so like Precious. one player can get a save in any one given game. That's it. I, I think I'm going to kind of roll the dice a little more this year and say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pay for it. You know, even Josh Hader, even all this Chapman, like there's no saying that those guys, 
they don't move Hader out of the role, like we said. They don't. They're probably not going to move Chapman out of the role. But like, what if he starts getting hit harder, and they think to mm. themselves, like, well, we, you know, we have so many arms. Let's rotate through. Yeah. Like, man, yeah. it's, it's. I don't want to pay for saves. I, I, I'm probably going to do it, but I don't want it. That's that's going to be my stance. Hmm, interesting, because Mario's always about why get the guy that you feel like you have to when you don't have to, and now you're a hundred percent. You're so you're, right. Now it, you're saying the opposite, me. kind of. Yeah, yep, it, it bothers <laughs> me because because uh, it's. Uh, I should phrase it this way: I'm going to try to see where the discount is, and hopefully, the discount is the guy you're supposed to get. You know, the but, closer. And you mentioned something like I'm going to go after talent as opposed to the save opportunities, which is, hey, Sean, I don't know if people notice, but that's kind of something that we kind of bring to the table, right? As a podcast, we try to bring in that real, that real baseball with the fantasy baseball and we kind of mesh them together and we have this crossover going. But that's all we've been doing is just like we don't we don't necessarily look at the uh, and the traditional fantasy aspect of things, but we kind of see if uh, if uh, real life talent evaluation can be useful in a fantasy baseball realm. And I think uh, this year, uh, I think for a guy like me and Sean, we were made for this, right? Where we we have a list of relief pitchers in our heads. Like now's the chance to get them because everything's so murky. You might as well go after the most talented relievers out there as opposed to the people you think are going to get the save opportunities like in years past. So listen, man, it's like I've been saying to Sean this whole uh, season number two here of the podcast. Brand new decade brand new baseball it's a brand new way of it's a brand new outlook on the on fantasy baseball brand new outlook on the game itself either you adjust or you or you sink so that's basically the mantra here and uh that's all i had uh i was gonna do some lightning round predictions but sean as you think you're they're telling me here is that we're running out of time how are we doing on time are we uh, uh, we, have- we are at about 115 uh, but, 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 I really want to get your this- mistake for bringing me on. You, you know, <laughs> I just, I can't help myself. Yeah. Mistake, well, well, I mean, I mean, we have so much to catch up on. That's why, you know, all the time. Sure. All right, uh, Sean, if you want, we can either do it now or we could save it for next week. Uh, uh, up the, to you. Uh, up to you, boss. Uh, uh, Sean, uh, Mario, do you have, let's just start with you, Mario. Do you have any uh, lightning round predictions you can make for division winners, world series winners, award winners, anything of that sort? I will. I will only say this. I was really impressed by Tampa Bay in a short season. They are such a perfect team to chunk together wins over 162 games that I, I thought they were the team that was going to suffer the most in a short year because they were going to be, you know, they're, they're a numbers team. So they're going to slowly gain the edge over a long season. But knocking it down to 60 games, I thought they'd be, I thought they'd be more, more average. I am really impressed that they won 40 games like that. And I – don't know how you can – I mean, I, you know, I'm a Yankee fan, but that doesn't matter in this conversation. I don't know how you can look at the Rays and say that they're not they, – they might dominate 162 games at this point. I don't even yeah. care what their team looks like. They're, a full year of a Rosarito seems out. really, yeah. really fun. Uh, I mean, well, they, they seem to have figured out how to win games. I don't know. You know, I, it's funny you mentioned that because last year around this time, I told Sean, like, Sean, look at this race team. I mean, it sucks for fantasy baseball, but they look like they're built for a 162-game season. because they, they totally were. They, they have uh, platoon players at every position where they're put in a position to succeed the most. And then when the 60-game schedule came out, I'm like, ooh, I don't know if I like them this much. And oops, exactly. wrong, wrong. Exactly. They're, 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 they're in the World Series. <laughs> They're built for 60 games, 40 games, 162 games, whatever. This year, however, I don't know, man. I feel like they lost too many guys. But 
you know what? If anything, let's just do some quick World Series predictions. Uh, last month, I had the White Sox and the Mets. Uh, I'm sorry, not last month, January, uh, after they signed Liam Hendricks. I was excited about the White Sox and Mets facing off in the World Series in 2021. Uh, and remember, Sean, I was telling you, we should do a monthly prediction adjustment, and we missed it in February. So let's at least do that. But it's March, and I don't feel so good about my White Sox. So right now, I... I have the Dodgers beating the Yankees in five after, when it's all said and done in 2021. Mario, give me your World Series predictions. If you're putting me on the spot, I'm going to say Rays over Padres. I think wow. the Dodgers are amazing. And, and, and here's the problem with the Padres. Oh. They're going to be such a hot pick because of what they've done. I don't like that. I don't like how hot they are. I like the fact that they were the team who signed Manny Machado for a 10-year deal. Mm-hmm. And when they did that, they basically said, we're not going to win this year. But we're going to be there. We're going to be there for the next seven years. I love that because they honestly followed up Manny Machado by not really going crazy until last season. Yeah. So they're there. It's not whatever they've done in the last three months actually means nothing to me. It's what they did in the prior two, three years that have gotten them to this point. The Dodgers winning the World Series, I think, very much helps the Padres slip in there. Not that wow. the Dodgers are going to fall asleep or anything, but you, you know. You have a, a somewhat natural letdown. Look at the Nationals of, of last year. So you now open the door for the Dodgers. Worst case scenario, San Diego is a wild card team who can still make noise. Um, but I, I mean, I just said about the Rays, like ha, how do you not look at them as, I won't say they're World Series favorites, but I don't see how they're not one of the best teams by the end. So that's, you know. And What's so funny with the Rays is they're always projected to do so just bleh, yeah. and they always, always overperform always. it by a mile every year. Oh, it means every single year. It's amazing. And uh, I'll go more in depth next week. Uh, so we're running out of time. But it, it, I was going to say, in, in my uh, in my danger of picking the Dodgers, I'm 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 basically saying there's going to be a back-to-back winner for the first time in in over two decades. So, you know, say what you will about baseball having this discrepancy in competition, but you can't. Uh, argue too much with the results as there is a little bit of parity at the end of the season as uh, there's been a different team winning the World Series but I'm going safe here Dodgers and Yankees like it's 1981 make 2021 (laughs) 1981 all over again Sean World Series prediction right now let's go I'm going to take Padres over Astros yes yeah I think the Astros are being slept on I think they you know they lose Springer uh, Verlander's out for the year I think a lot of people are counting them out but I think what people aren't counting on is what they're getting back. Jordan Alvarez could easily be the best hitter in base in all of baseball. I think he has the skills to put up numbers in the same stratosphere as Mike Trout and uh, Juan Soto. I, I think he's that good. Um, obviously, you're probably not going to get anything from him fielding. As long as he's just their DH, he just needs to stay on the field and produce. I think Kyle Tucker is really in for a – breakout season and I mean the helium on Kyle Tucker is about as high as it's ever been I think in the fantasy world yeah. uh, he's going anywhere in like mid-second to early third uh, I'm having to struggle over if I want to keep him over Shohei Otani in our baseball life league um, <laughs> Bregman's back Correa's back Altuve's back Correa's in a walk year uh, that's a, another thing you know players always go crazy bonkers in their walk year in their pitching staff uh, it's a bunch of names that you probably don't know, but they've recently just signed Jake Odorizzi. Was that last night, this morning, something like yeah. that? I think he's yeah. a guy that's going to do really well in Houston. I mean, 
Houston's taken at least like what seven former Minnesota pitchers, Ryan Presley being one, and like just converted them into dominance. I think Orozzi's the same camp. Full year from McCullers. McCullers needs to stay healthy. Um, Arquiti and Javier are both awesome. The news that Framber Valdez might miss like the entire year over a broken pinky. I saw the play. He ended up pitching the rest of the inning. I don't know what happened. <laughs> But they said he broke one of his, like, pinky or ring finger on the throwing hand, and he's going to miss the whole year? Like, that that to me seems insane. That's catastrophic, honestly. Yeah. Uh, that That's huge for them. But And then Forrest Whitley just got diagnosed with the UCL sprain. So now I'm starting to talk myself out of it. They're starting pitching depth. But I really <laughs> but like Arcidi. You made enough good points, honestly. Yeah, I really they're, like Arcidi, and I really like them. Javier. And that's yeah. five right there when you add in Odorizzi. Um, I have a weird – relationship with Brandon Belak where I really think he's going to be good, but I, I don't think he has the fastball velo, the stuff to really stick. And then the bullpen, you know, they, they had, I heard on their broadcast, their spring training radio broadcast a couple days ago, they debuted like 15 pitchers last year and 12 of them were relief pitchers. And I'm like, what in the world? How did they come up with these people? And, and they all did, you know, none of them sucked were like terrible. Well, you know how but, they like, do it, Sean. No, pine tar, pine tar. No, well, not just that. They all cheat. They all cheat. It was like Brooks Rayleigh was a guy they got from off the scrap heap from Cincinnati, and they turned him into the, like this hard hit avoiding savant essentially. And they picked up Ryan Stanek. Uh, there's a lot of names that are interesting over there. So yeah, uh, I, I, mean, I think the Astros I, are being slept on. That's why I don't give up on the Astros as much as other people want to give up on them. I mean, and then you look at the competition. I mean, the A's, they're, I don't know where people are getting the A's to uh, compete this year. I don't see it. Mike Fires for Cy Young. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then you know, Chris Bassett's your number one. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm a hard pass for me. I am mean, not a believer of Chris Bassett anchoring a playoff contending. I don't think uh, the A's are this team. year, but they could be next year or the year after that once Lazardo and Puck build up some innings. Are you sure? Because – after that, they're gonna just sell off all their best players and and yeah. By that time, Matt Chapman's gonna be again. traded. Matt Olson's gonna be traded. That's <laughs> it's it's rinse uh, repeat and all that. The lather repeat. I can they say. trade a uh, Matt Olson to the Rockies already? <laughs> I really am in the mood for a six hundred foot home run right now. <laughs> there you go. Even with the new balls, huh? And uh, that's the show uh, that we uh, ran a little over as always, but that's fine. We cover a lot of stuff. Mario, please tell the people where they can see your work and their stuff uh, that you do over there. Uh, it's going to be on Sportfolio, which mm-hmm. is the normal website I always run. Uh, and I'm going to be on Fantasy Pros again this year, which yeah. was really, really a nice experience. It started, started last March and then the pandemic hit, which was so disappointing <laughs> to put a lot of my articles like on hold. Um, oh, yeah. I was yeah, going to ask you be, about that. How, how did that go? Yeah, no, uh, but it's been – it's been okay because they, you know, we then went through a lot of mock drafts and obviously, you know, I love drafting. So <laughs> a lot of my content was basically going through draft strategy, which I love. So it was like a, it was like an extended draft season for me. Um, so yeah, the fantasy pros will have a lot of my articles throughout the year. And, and of course on Twitter at Mario Regola. There you go. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us uh, this morning, uh, Mario. Uh, well, for you, it's an hour later, so you're, you're probably yeah, uh, this afternoon. Got an, this afternoon. But thank you guys. It's, it is always a pleasure, really. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and, uh, and if you have, if you want, you can come back to uh, recap our drafts as well. That seems to be a tradition around the Total of Basis course. Podcast is bringing Mario to recap our draft and see where we went wrong and went right. Um, Sean, thank you so much for uh, – you did a podcast this morning. You want to brag oh, about no, that a little bit? I, I, it actually it got moved to tomorrow. Oh, ah, well, you want to brag about that anyway? Yeah, that's, uh, that's the one I'm going to be on with um, 
at MLB moving averages, uh, good old John boy over there. Um, and Tony Tambo, and I can't, there's a third person that's going to be joining us, but we're just going to start kind of breaking down. We're all in the same, um, TGFBI league now, which is kind of weird because the thing's still going. So I don't want to give away too much, but we kind of want to break down like how we got to this point in our drafts. So it's going to be really fun. MLB moving averages is awesome to listen to. He's like one of the most enthusiastic guys. I listened to one of his shows. He carried the entire show by himself for like an hour and he didn't lose an ounce of enthusiasm. He's like Brooklyn all the way. Uh, He's going to be really fun. I'm going to share the podcast once he puts it up in baseball life. So everyone else can listen to it, but uh, it's going to be really fun. I've been Tony Tambo's alarm clock since he works nights and he's like, Hey, if I'm on the clock early in the morning, just text me or call me. (laughs) He said, here's my number. I just need you to call me because I'll probably be asleep at eight o'clock, nine o'clock in the uh, morning. But uh, it's been really fun. Uh, like I said, it's it's a tough draft. There's so many smart people in here. It's a really tough draft. Well, I mean, you wanted that challenge, right? So yeah, oh, here you go. Awesome. I mean, that's the reason I bring Mario into our draft because I want that challenge. Uh, so <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> bring in a ringer of sorts. But yeah, I am Felipe. That is Sean over there. Uh, Mario, as guest, thank you for coming on. We are on every Sunday morning here on the Baseball Life Facebook group. So please join us and then follow our Life Group podcast. When you follow us, you follow all our other podcasts. Uh, Dong City, uh, the Audible, which is a football one, the uh, Step Back, which is a basketball one, the Work Street, which is a wrestling life, and then every Sunday morning we start your total. I'm sorry, we start your Life Group podcast a week with the Total Basis podcast Sunday mornings, 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central. I'm Felipe, Sean, thank you, Mario, thank you. We'll see you next week. <laughs>